Hello, and welcome to Of The People. Education, education, oh, education. You know, when I look around the world right now and you see everything on fire, you see the war in Ukraine, you see the war, the Hamas war in Israel, you see political unrest here. The thing that stands out to me that I don't think anyone's focusing on is the role of education in all of this. So what do I mean by that? It's very simple. Randy Weingarten, my favorite, of course, if you've listened to prior shows, the head of the AFT, American Federation of Teachers, was lamenting the rise of homeschooling in this country. And obviously that's an education issue. And the reason there's a rise in homeschooling is pretty obvious. When you look at what's going on in the schools around the country, whether it's detransitioning or transitioning our kids without parents' knowledge, parents having no rights with, with or say within the curriculum, those kinds of things, school closures during COVID, the policies of wokeism and gender identification in all the schools. No wonder that homeschooling is the fastest rising schooling option in the country. So education, education, education. But we also have parents now being called terrorists. Now, real terrorism you're seeing in the Middle East. Hamas are terrorists. But parents were, not too long ago, in Loudoun County and other places, Virginia, across the country, were terrorists for wanting a say in their children's education. I would argue that Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin was largely elected based on parental rights in education and dealing with children's education issues. So again, you see that education touches all of this. And by the way, Shame on those people who were calling parents terrorists. You want terrorists? Go look at what's going on in, in, in Gaza and the, and the attacks from Hamas. Those people are terrorists. The Iranians are terrorists, the, the uh, Revolutionary Guard. But then you look around, education also touches the fact that the reason we're in this mess is because the woke left has taken over education. Not only, and they don't teach civics, they don't teach about the Constitution which arguably is the greatest document written. There's a couple others, right? You know, Magna Carta, those kinds of things. But they don't teach it for a reason because this ideology is being forced on the children. And since they don't have any education on civics and how your country's supposed to work, of course, they're going to be indoctrinated. So again, education, education, education. You see it in the universities. Harvard, by the way, just came out in the last couple of days. 100 professors signed off on that they did not like Harvard's new anti-Semitism policy. Someone has to be kidding me. That has to be a joke, right? And then also on education, the, the protests you see on the college campuses, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel. The thing that strikes me, you want to know about no education? So the same people, or a lot of them that are protesting Israel, LGBTQ, gays, lesbians. Someone basically said that LGBTQ homosexuals protesting against Israel would be like, you know, chickens lobbying for Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? It's just an oxymoron because those people would be put to death by the, you know, the PLO or Hamas or many, if not all of the Middle Eastern countries, say one or two instantly. 
makes absolutely no sense. Education, 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 right? And then this whole thing about going after the youth. Hitler went after the youth for a reason, right? The Hitler Youth Movement. If you co-opt the young, then you control a generation. Look at how the Palestinians teach their children to hate the Jews, kill the Jews, hate Israel. They do that at a young age. If you look at the United Nations Relief Workers Association, who sponsors most of those schools, there's plenty of videos and document, document, uh, documents out there. Documentaries, I can say that twice, out there. So again, education intertwines all of this. So education, education, education. And by the way, my thanks to Randy Weingarten, because I got to be honest, she is the greatest boon to education in this country by showing everyone what not to do. And that it really has nothing to do with the children or education, right? So Randy, keep up the good work. But remember, folks, all of this, what connects the dots is education, education, and education. And it is all about the kids. Stay tuned. Main segment of the show, we have an interview with Harmeet Dillon, who amongst her many, many roles also represents many in the uh, transgender community who were forced to transgender or transgendered against their will and trying to transition back. It's really what, what a great segment we have with her in a great interview. And again, same thing, being pushed by the schools most of the time without parents' knowledge. We're not talking about adults, we're talking about kids. But stay tuned for that episode. We'll be back on the other side of the break with our interview with Harmeet Dillon. Good morning, everyone. We are so excited to have on as a guest today, Miss Harmeet Dillon. Now, she, you probably have heard her name in the news a lot for various things over the last few years, but we have her on today specifically uh, in her role as president and founder of the Center for American Liberty. Now, Harmi, you are an attorney, you also have a law firm, and one of the big projects that you and your firm and your group are taking on right now is, 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 the, is the fight against um, what we're seeing, this social contagion in America of, of young people transitioning their genders. So we know that you're representing Chloe Cole and some other detransitioners. And so could you just start out sharing with our listeners a little bit about the work that you're doing uh, with your nonprofit and how you're going about supporting these transitioners in their fight for justice. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm uh, happy to talk about this very important issue. So at my law firm, I've been practicing law in various settings for 30 years, and throughout that time, I've done work on behalf of victims of domestic violence, um, sex trafficking, human rights violations that are national and international in scope, as well as a number of First Amendment and other American legal and, uh, you know, political issues. And so started the nonprofit four years ago for American Liberty to be able to fund the important work that we do because many of our clients have fundamental cases that are not only important to them, but also if successful can have a huge impact on society. But mm. 
for example, teenagers or young people who are detransitioning, they typically don't have the resources to hire a lawyer who has the skills to take these cases all the way. And so that's where the nonprofit comes in because there are a lot of generous Americans. It's an, it's an amazing country and culture. It's really unique in the sense that a lot of the important work in this country is funded by public spirited citizens who use nonprofits to help um, these important causes. And so in court every day, I help people in the pro-life movement and other movements, and that's usually funded by charitable contributions. So in this case, we started this nonprofit and um, we did not know when we started it that our work would include this. Our work was more broadly defined as uh, free speech and other fundamental First uh, First Amendment and other issues related mm. to that. And so we come to this point, constitutional work. And, um, you know, however, like I said, the first case I won as a lawyer at trial was, an, was a case involving human rights violations abroad. And so I view what's happening to America's children who are being subjected to this contagion. And it's mainly girls who are succumbing to it as children mm. as a human rights issue because these children are put in the care of uh, adults with authority, that's teachers and doctors, mm. psychiatrists, and yeah. guidance counselors. Um, and it's typically not the parents pressuring them to do it. It's something that they picked up either through our, frankly, abusive and addictive social media um, companies wow. in America or more frequently we see now the schools we see a concerted effort a well-funded effort by uh lgbtq nonprofits and other social engineering organizations to push this ideology in the schools and mm. you know to be very clear we don't have anything to do with adults who want to make these choices for themselves but i think children are very different they are protected by law they don't have the same rights as adults um, they they can't serve in the military. They can't buy a gun. They can't you know vote, and yet we are allowing children who are being pressured by a well-funded establishment to make the choice to mutilate their bodies permanently, destroy their ability to recreate, and make them unhappy in in most cases permanently because right. it is a lie that you can change your body from male to female. There's no amount of hormones or sex mimicry surgery that can do that. Um, for whatever reason, the medical establishment has been peddling this lie to children for the last couple of decades. And and the result is widespread misery and permanent damage and suicide yeah. amongst a lot of these youth. So that's the, that's the cause that we took up. Well, and that's one of the things that I think is so strange First of all, I'm surprised to hear you say that the parents aren't pushing it. I half expected it to be more from the parents necessarily than from institutions. But the thing that we hear all the time is that these therapists or teachers are saying, well, would you rather have, you know, a happy you know, son or daughter, the opposite gender of what they currently have, or a dead one, right? They're manipulating parents using this awful rhetoric to scare them into transitioning their kids. But it's like, okay, well, if they're 50% likely to 
end their lives because of misery before they transition and 50% after they transition, it doesn't sound like transitioning is the answer. Well, it's so first of all, there are a few uh, psychologically challenged moms who mm. are pushing this at a younger age. More commonly, okay. what we've seen is it is something that the children themselves pick up through social media or through pressure in the schools. And we've had multiple okay. cases involving, even before we got to the surgical cases, we've had cases, and one of which is ongoing in the Ninth Circuit right now, cases involving teachers and, and other workers in the schools not only manipulating children to change their gender, it's to start with the baby step of encouraging them to call themselves bisexual or gay. When, I mean, talking about 12-year-olds and younger than that even. And then next, they're like, oh, well, if you're not happy in your body, maybe you should be the other um, side. But most importantly in those cases, concealing that whole discussion and the child's manipulated choice to change their name or what have you, from the parents. And so the parents don't find out what's going on until it's too late. And add insult to injury, California actually has a law that allows these children to basically run away from home legally and check into some LGBTQ group home and get quote unquote counseling there. And then they never go back to their families because they're in the thrall of this, frankly, gender cult. And so these are some of the things that lead up to this. And so we actually won a case recently this year uh, regarding the schools manipulating a child. Thankfully, the mom found out during COVID because the kid was at home and the girl is back to being her normal self. Similar cases were um, appealing in the Ninth Circuit uh, that reached the opposite result where a federal judge said parents don't have any right to know what's going on with their children in the schools. I think that is not only wrong morally and, and natural law. It's also wrong under Supreme Court precedent. So we're seeking a reversal that's, circuit. That's wild to me. Now, how do the, how are the schools getting around being mandatory reporters? This is one of the things that I found so strange. You know, we have family in education, uh, schools, counselors, people like that are are what are my understanding mandatory reporters which means if the child is either if a child is either hurting themselves threatening to hurt themselves if somebody is hurting them teachers guidance counselors therapists these people are supposed to tell the parents they're or the police they're mandatory reporters how are they getting around some of these rules or are they just disregarding them? Well, they don't view themselves as putting the children at risk. They view themselves as helping the children. So there's nothing to report in that analysis. Oh, They're the ones doing the grooming. So how are they going to report on themselves? So, you know, I think that's fairly obvious. Um, but, you know, the, the, the net result of this is you add um, you know, government funding paying for this in the case of parents who don't have means or private health care paying for it and prioritizing it. And two of our lawsuits were suing Kaiser for doing the surgery. And the third lawsuit were suing a um, major university in that state who uh, whose medical um, establishment 
did, did these mutilating procedures, in these cases, removing the breasts, healthy breast tissue from otherwise healthy girls. One of the big failures that we're seeing just transitioning over to the medical industry side of this is almost all of the, actually all of the patients who we have spoken to who are considering suing the medical providers, they had undiagnosed or improperly diagnosed psychiatric issues, um, developmental challenges. Many of them have been subjected to some level of sexual assault as girls um, in their youth, in the schools or some relative. And doctors never asked them about that. They never asked them, why are you so fixated on becoming a boy? These are pretty simple reasons and reactions. Um, a lot of these uh, girls are somewhere on the autism spectrum and they have difficulty experiencing expressing what's really going on. And so adults are projecting their issues onto these mm. children. If, and, 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 you know, I don't know how it is now, but I know in olden days before getting, before a doctor would sign off on bariatric surgery or major plastic surgery, they would make a patient go through a course of exercise and psychiatric mm -hmm. evaluation and make sure that a distorted, um, body image wasn't the issue. None of that right. is happening. These children are being fast-tracked and some of these surgeries took place during COVID. They're being fast-tracked into the removal of their healthy breasts and then vaginal, uh, not vaginoplasty, but penile implants in the case of girls, vaginoplasty in the case of boys. Um, none of this results in a normal sexual body of the opposite gender. It is just living as something that you're not. And it is um, frankly barbaric to do this to children after compounding their problems by misdiagnosing them, not diagnosing them, allowing the grooming and manipulation of adults to be the guiding principle of this child mutilation, child genital mutilation is what it is happening in America's hospitals. Well, and that's, you know, to me, all of this is, you know, there's no way for any of these young people to have informed consent for what they're getting into. If they are not of the age of majority, if they've never had, and we're, you know, I'm going to be real talk right now. If they've never had sex, if they've never experienced an orgasm, if they've never had a sexual relationship or a romantic relationship in nature, how can they have informed consent about changing their gender and manipulating their genitals? Yeah, I mean, this is one of our arguments. These children at that age are not allowed to get tattoos. They're viewed as too immature to be able to market their own bodies. Yet um, with, with pressure on parents who do have to sign up in most cases, not always on these surgeries, um, the ch parents are manipulated into uh, a false presumption that their child will commit suicide if they don't sign off on this. This is actually usually not the case, but psychiatrists are involved maybe for an hour or two in this whole process. There ought to be a legal requirement, in my opinion, of years of psychiatric counseling before one does this. And we've even spoken to some experts who have counseled adults on adult sex mimicry surgery. and. That was the medical protocol not that long ago that before anybody would interfere, even with a healthy adult's body, 
they would ask them to go through a period of psychiatric uh, counseling, eliminate all other options, make sure that person mm. is comfortable living in the clothing of and behaving as the opposite gender for a period mm. of years before they would mutilate that adult. And yet oh, with yeah. children, it is just being done on an assembly line, one or two hours of counseling and boom, the breast surgery is scheduled at the Oakland Kaiser here in California because there's a couple of doctors willing to do it there, whereas like most doctors actually won't. And then when inevitably they have problems with their transition, i.e. whatever their psychiatric problems are, are not resolved and now they feel horrible when they look in the mirror and then they learn which they probably was in some fine print but they learn because it's coming home to them they'll never be able to breastfeed they'll never mm -hmm. be able to maybe even reproduce have children so forget about breastfeeding and they can't yeah. have their body isn't what god made it and so they feel ugly um and th this is horrible that adults in America are doing this with impunity to children. And we we aim to put a stop to it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, this was years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to go bad. I don't know how this is going to go bad, but I know this is going to go bad. It was several years ago, many states in the Northeast. I'm from Vermont originally. So you probably are familiar. The Northeast seems to really be with a lot of this stuff, uh, along with California, but they outlawed, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the language that they used, but it was essentially they outlawed therapy and, uh, Conversion forgive therapy. me. Yes. Yes, that's what it was. And it was supposed to be like, you you know, you're not allowed to talk to people about, you know, who identify as homosexual, you know, to double check if they're really homosexual. So my understanding is that therapists aren't e in states where they've outlawed con so-called conversion therapy. They're not even allowed to talk to these young people about well hey are you sure you really want to be a boy or a girl or whatever that it's um like that that counseling's actually outlawed mm -hmm. yeah I, have you found true. that in any of the cases well you're yeah i mean but that conversion therapy ought to be i mean it's, it's it's a legal theory we've looked at as maybe what the schools are doing is conversion therapy they're converting normal oh. healthy children into something else uh and you know maybe that should be i certainly think the case where we reached the hundred thousand dollar settlement with the spreckles union school district was a case of okay. taking a normal child and putting ideas into her head and converting her into something else and you know that it turns out that one of the teachers uh, who was involved in this had some uh, you know, LGBTQ issue in their family. And, you know, they were projecting their own insecurities and failures as a parent onto a child. And so, yeah, that, I mean, if, if you, it, to complete, we can use the conversion therapy angle there as well. But look, bottom line, what I want is make it very costly for doctors to mutilate children in America. Yes. That's what I would like yes. to see happen. And teachers to interfere with children. And amateur psychology and psychiatry happening in the schools with, you know, random guidance counselors who don't have the uh, expertise and, and ability to be able to diagnose these things. 
to be mm. stopped from doing it. They should not dabble in ruining the lives of other people's children. I, oh, I, we are so grateful uh, for you, Harmi, and the work that you are doing with your organization, the Center for American Liberty. We're grateful for the Dillon Law Group. Tell our listeners and our viewers where they can go to support you, to support the work that you're doing, to follow you, share with them all of the, you know, where they can donate and how they can follow you. Sure. Well, uh, on Twitter, I can be followed at, at P-N-J-A-B-A-N. And our nonprofit, the Center for American Liberty, is www.libertycenter.org. And people can donate there as well under the Donate tab. And, you know, if anyone wants to look at what my law firm is doing recently, also we have a Twitter and Instagram profile at Dillon Law, spelled D-H-I-L-L-O-N-L-A-W. And our website is dillonlaw.com. Fantastic. Again, Harmeet Dillon, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you for the work that you're doing, um, helping detransitioners and, um, and Americans in general fight this social contagion. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to having you on again soon. I appreciate it. And, thank uh, you. Hearing about how these goes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. America came into being based on a shared belief and a common set of values. Unlike other nations that were bound together based on common ancestry, race, or caste, we came into being based on a simple and shared set of ideals. That the power of government is based on the consent of the governed. That life, the freedom to live life on our own terms in our own way, free from government interference, and liberty, our most precious value, and the pursuit of happiness, which means we are free to pursue that which we choose with the knowledge and courage to know that nothing is guaranteed to us in this life. Those values, America was founded on these basic inalienable rights. Freedom to pray to God in our own way. Freedom to think and speak freely without fear of punishment or harm. And freedom to gather in our places of worship and in our local taverns freedom to defend ourselves, our families, our homes, and our neighbors as we see fit. The American Center for Education and Knowledge is dedicated to protecting American exceptionalism anywhere and everywhere it is threatened. ASIC is a 501c3 and depends on your tax-deductible donations. Please help us continue our fight. Hello, welcome back to Upheaval. I'm Robert Churning, clearly on assignment with my lovely co-host. Hi, Erica Reddick. Yes, you are. Erica, I have to tell you, that was a great interview with Harmeet. You know the thing that comes away, the first thing was her reference to gender cult, mm. right? Yes. Great interview, yep. but, but that's really what it is, right? I mean, there's this agenda and again, folks, let's be clear. We're not talking about adults. You know, you're about, you're an adult and you want to make a choice. I still think you're crazy, but that's your decision, right? But I don't know about you, but yeah. at 12 years old, I wanted to be Batman. I'm just thankful no one sort of gave me surgery to, you know, <laughs> give me wings. I mean, does anybody know what they want to be at that age? I mean, but, but Harmeet was, I mean, she's fighting the fight. 
she is and we need her fighting that fight you know i i don't remember if i've said it on the show before but you know when i was a young girl coming of age if you will um you know i remember being so uncomfortable in my body and i was a total tomboy the only kids on my street to play with uh when i was a kid were boys and so if if you know if i were you know that age now would the school be trying to transition me would they be saying oh erica if you don't feel comfortable in your own body it's because you're a different gender like i mean they're just taking advantage these people this this cult is taking advantage of of vulnerable people and and i think that's the thing that upsets me so much about it is it's like it's not adults it's 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 weaker vulnerable people that you're really manipulating like it or not grooming into the cult with you right and so so it's just i love the way that she's able to articulate things so practically and yeah. e- in a way that's easy to understand. Well, you know, the thing with Har- Harmeet is she is both passionate and dispassionate, right? She's passionate mm. about what she does, but she's dispassionate about how she goes about to fight for their rights. And again, for mm. me, the thing, you know, the takeaway from this interview that just frankly frosts the shit out of me is that they are keeping it from the parents as a father, as yeah. a parent. I am legally responsible, I am morally responsible, ethically responsible for my kids. But if my kid wants to transition for you to, I mean, like the curriculum at the school, for you not to tell me what you're teaching my kids, for you not to tell me that that my, my, my son or daughter is having questions about their sexuality or their place in life. And then, and then you're going to, like I talked about in, in the opening monologue, education, education, education. You're going to brand me as a terrorist because I want to be involved in, in, my, in my minor. In your kids? Cho- minor, under 18, minor children's life. I'm responsible for everything else. My kid hurts somebody and they sue. I'm responsible as the adult, but I'm not allowed to know this. So that's the fight she's well, taking. And that's why I admire well, and, and respect her. Yeah, and that's what, you know, the first thing people do if kids are not passing in school or not doing well is they look at the parent. Well, what are the parents doing? How are the Are you a good parent? Are you helping them with their schooling? Are you feeding them? Are you doing whatever? But for this, we're going to just hide in, we're going to hide from you that your child is in a group that has a 50% suicidality rate. We're going to hide that from you and then send them home. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? You know, the, 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 the school board, you know, you called it Randy Weingarten school boards, um, the school, um, the teachers unions, they are just, they are, they are putting in work to really harm American families, Robert. And, you know, I I just love your passion for this and for for kids, for families and for education. It's it's all about And that we get to really highlight this stuff. You you know, you want to mess with me and take me on. That's fine. You you come after the kids. You know, I'm your worst enemy because it is all Mm. about protecting the children. 
And I won't use the word terror. Look, I, I don't like when they, they call people Nazis and, and you water down the term and the significance of what that really meant. Mm. This is the same thing with terrorism. Yeah. You want terrorism, go look at Hamas. To label parents yeah. as terrorists is wrong, right? Because and it's just, it's just first of all, it's, it's uh, logically wrong. It's truthfully wrong. It's morally wrong. So I won't say that Randy Weingarten is a terrorist, but what I will say that she's an ideologue is that she yeah. has an agenda that she's pushing Right? And it's not to protect the children. It's to protect yeah. the power. And, and you and I have talked about it. That's big education, right? You have big, big tech, big education, big oil, right? It is a political organization with an agenda. And that agenda is to keep the, the water wheel of money flowing into them, to go to the Democrats, to, to, to come back. The other thing I want to say, though, about, about Harmeet and, and, and the yeah. conversation that she had, she did answer your question because I know you've asked me or we've discussed several times about what about the parental notification requirement, right? Remember? Yeah. And and Harmeet's answer was spot on, which is if there was harm to the children, they're required to notify the parents, but they don't think they're doing harm or they refuse to they admit they're, doing, they're harm, doing harm. So they're not going to rat on themselves. And that's a really... It's the parents doing harm, according to them. According to them. Right. That's why they can, in California yep. law, where they can go, you know, they can be taken out of the home and put in some, you know, foster home so, while they're transitioning amongst the rest of their cult yep. members. Yep. And right. they can do that in Vermont, too. As a matter of fact, you can kidnap your children to Vermont to have them transitioned, and Vermont will not allow. Uh, will not like extradite you or uh, cooperate with authorities to send you or your child back to wherever they've come from. Well, I know you are fond of Vermont and I used to live in Vermont, but let's not forget that Vermont just put into their constitution, the ability to have an abortion um, up through and including the day of birth. So, you know, and we can have this you know conversation nationally, but, but, oh, yeah. but third term in the state constitution as a right, so nothing Vermont does surprises me at all at this point. Yeah. Yep. No. Well, and that's what I tell people, you know, there are more people living there now that are not Vermonters than are Vermonters. These are not my people. I'm taking no responsibility <laughs> for the nonsense. No responsibility whatsoever. Um, that's all I'm saying. And folks, the truth uh, is she may be from Vermont, but she got smart and doesn't live in Vermont. So I'm not with that nonsense. I am not with that nonsense. Right. Right. Spe speaking of nonsense, Robert, um, you know, we got to do another interview at first in the nation at the first in the nation summit. Um, that, I mean, that event was so cool. We got to meet so many cool people and have so many conversations. And one of them was with Katie Anderson, who right. is a detransitioner. And the power of that interview, and look, I think the Harmeet interview was great. We now have an interview coming up with Katie Anderson. Folks, this is someone who's, when I say been there, she's in it now. She was forced to transition. She is detransitioning. And her story is perhaps, I mean, you know, beyond the politicians we spoke to, beyond, beyond the media personalities we spoke to, this is probably one of the most powerful and moving interviews. Forget about First in the Nation in New Hampshire that we have done since we've been on the air. You want to listen to yeah. the Katie Anderson interview um, and, and what she's gone, had to go through and endure. And imagine if this yeah. was your kid. 
So let's, right. let's, let's tee that one up and we'll, we'll come back on the other side of that. We'll be right back. Katie Anderson. Hey, everybody. Erica Reddick from Of The People. Excited to have on Miss Katie Anderson with me today. Now, you just came off the stage here at First in the Nation Summit and gave a great talk. Katie is a detransitioner. So you were one of the folks, a young person, who was feeling, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for you, Katie. Why don't you share with our viewers, you know, give like a 90-second rundown of like where you were at, what led you to transition in the first place, and then sort of like, what was your aha moment that something was wrong? Okay. So I was actually 18 when I decided to transition. Okay. I had been watching a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of social media influences, and I decided to transition because I was so uncomfortable with my femininity. Mm. I was growing into adulthood at 18, and I wasn't really sure where I fit in the world. Yeah. So I saw transgenderism as sort of an escape. And so I saw, you know, if I transition to male, I don't have to be this woman anymore and I yep. can sort of escape this. So when I started to transition, I asked everybody to call me by a different name and use different pronouns. Okay. And then I ended up taking testosterone, which I took for about seven years. Oh, wow. And yep. And after about a year on testosterone, I had a double mastectomy. So I had my healthy breasts removed okay. when I was 20 years old. And when I was 24, I had to have a hysterectomy. So that included the removal of my uterus, cervix, fallopian tubes, and both of my ovaries. Oh, wow. And was that because of the testosterone? Yes. So that was okay. because of the effects of testosterone. They were so devastating wow. that I had serious abdominal pain from um, uterine atrophy, I think, that I couldn't even stand up straight a lot of the time. So I had to have a hysterectomy and they took everything else out to reduce the risk of cancer from the testosterone of, of ovarian cancer. Oh my gosh. Things like that. Now, did anybody ever talk to you about the side effects and the health complications of taking testosterone and what you were going to face? So the, the gender clinic I went to, they spoke about it briefly. We did an informed consent paper, but the, the problem with it was that it was always framed as Yes, these are the risks, but look at the outcome. You'll be happy. You'll finally have joy and you won't be depressed or anything like that. So I did know the health effects, the negative effects, but I thought that they were outweighed by the positives that the gender clinic was telling me, positives that I never experienced. My depression, my anxiety, those didn't get any better. They were just either the same or worse. And it just felt like I had to go step after step after step in the transition, just searching for that euphoria, for that happiness. And I could not find it with gender transition. So was it after the hysterectomy that you were like, maybe I've gone too far. This is like, I, I'm waking up to this being a problem. What was the trigger for you? Yeah, so the hysterectomy actually really scared me out of any future procedures because the surgeon made a mistake and cut open one of my arteries. <gasps> and and accidentally left it open, but didn't notice. So I went into the recovery room with nobody noticing that I was bleeding internally. And so for hours, I just had a bleed and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me until I started losing consciousness. The doctors ordered an ultrasound and that's when they realized that I had a bleed, that one of my arteries was open 
and so they rushed me back in for emergency surgery. I had three blood transfusions before I could leave the hospital because I'd lost it's just a significant amount of blood. So I had three blood transfusions, and then when I went home, I decided I can't go through with any more transition because this is too dangerous. Look what I'm putting my family through. They knew yeah. what was going on when I was bleeding out. And so, but that's not when I thought I'll stop my transition. That's just when I thought this could be dangerous. I decided to fully stop, just hit the brakes completely when I got at just a regular haircut. And when I got home and I looked in the mirror, I just thought I looked ridiculous because finally in that moment, I saw myself as a woman, which I had not ever seen myself as. And that just struck me so deeply that I decided at that point, I won't go through with um, transgenderism anymore. I'll have to detransition. Yeah. And it's been hard. It's been super awkward at times. But, and I've been detransitioning for about two years. Yeah. And I've gone back and forth a couple of times with it that yeah. I wasn't sure if I wanted to. But ultimately, it's through the support of my Christian communities who, um, that I can actually detransition and feel confident enough to go through with it and not fall so deep into a depression that, you know, I I'm, I'm scared for my life, really. Yeah. Well, and that's why I, I feel like so much of the conversation really is rooted in our, our mental health just generally and the way that our culture uses rhetoric and talks about gender, femininity, femininity, masculinity. Um, I know, I, I tell people all the time that I grew up a tomboy and I was so uncomfortable in my body. I remember being resentful that I had my period. And even back then, so this was in the 80s, um, you know, oh, if you're a woman, you're going to be oppressed. And it's it was just like, I felt set up almost to be resentful about being a woman. And I, I think if for sure if I grew up in today's culture, they would have been trying to convince me to transition. For sure, because I also grew up as a tomboy. Okay. And um, so I was born in 95, so I'm a little bit older. I think kids who are born today, you know, their parents are already on board with the transgender stuff. Mm. But my parents had never heard of it. And so they never pushed it on me, um, yeah. even asked me some good questions when I wanted to transition. But I think back in 2014, when I started to, they just didn't know what to ask. Oh, gosh, so, 2014. That was so 10 years ago. Yeah. They were already doing this stuff. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, that's fine. I started transitioning when I was 18, and I'm 28 now. So think, it was 10 years ago. I think a lot of people think this is brand new, like just started in the last couple years. But so this was nine, 10 years ago that this started for you. Yep. Okay. And, and some people even earlier than that. So. so what was it? Where did you live at the time? Where were they like, where were you being seen by doctors? This was all in Massachusetts. All of my care was in Massachusetts. Okay. All of it was actually in Boston. There was, it was a separate gender clinic from the hospitals. I didn't okay. go to Boston Children's. I was okay. a little bit older. So, but my surgeries were at major Boston hospitals. So it's not like the gender clinic just has these underground surgeons. They'll send you to surgeons who do those types of surgeries. Just, they'll just now call it gender affirming care rather than a double mastectomy for a cancer patient. It's a double mastectomy for gender transition. Oh my gosh. So were they trying to pressure you or like push you towards other surgeries and other things? Did you feel like, um, like once you got started or once you had a question, did they just like pile on and kind of try to make you do more and more and more? Yes, they did. And that was 
most noticeable right after my hysterectomy. I don't remember. I think it was at the 10-day post-op appointment. I okay. think it was 10 days. Might have been 7 or 14, but it was right around there. They actually emailed me the names of other surgeons who could do future sex change procedures. And I, I never emailed them back. Needless to say, I was totally afraid from the hysterectomy. Well, especially... especially. <laughs> it, it, you is, got, it is laughable. I'm sorry for laughing. I'm not like... I'm just thinking like, oh, we almost killed you, but here's some recommendations That's for exactly other what surgeries. It was like. Oh my God. Yep. Okay. So you must have, did you feel like in that moment, did you feel like offended? Like, did it register for you how crazy it was that they emailed that list to you? You know, even back then when I was still fully consumed by the ideology, yeah. it did register as, wow, why are you sending this to me right now? And I didn't even have a thought that I would ever email those surgeons after what had happened. Um, now, looking back, it's even more ridiculous that they would do that. You know, yeah. being finally out of the ideology, finally, you know, understanding the world around me, to look back and say, wow, the surgeons then emailed me yeah. the names of plastic surgeons to do future surgeries. Wild. Would, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So before we got started, I I, I really thank Katie for, for speaking up, for sharing her story, because... You're saving people's lives. Just being willing to share your story and protect other kids, other people from going through the same thing. So I'm just imagining for you. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, okay? But I'm thinking to myself, I know what it was like being young and feeling uncomfortable in my own body, right? Then you go through this process to try to figure out who am I? What am I? Will these things make me happy? What do I do? And you realized I'm going down the wrong path. I got to make a change. I can't imagine that other folks who are transitioners or who are pushing this ideology are taking very kindly to you walking away uh, and speaking out against this ideology. So it, now it's like almost more questioning your identity and where do I belong and what is my purpose. Yeah. So, so you, you talked about your faith a little bit. You said you're part of a Christian community. How are you taking care of yourself and like building that identity and like really caring for yourself now? Well, it's very simple. My identity is centered on Christ instead of centered on a false ideology. And so anytime that I need grounding, I can just look to scripture for that. Mm. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. The trans community, the LGBT activists, they're not happy that I walked away from them. No. Now, I will say, just full transparency here, they were never too happy to have me on their team anyway, because even as a transgender identifying individual, I voted for Trump twice. <laughs> I, I was listening to Matt Walsh every day. So it's really no wonder I, I abandoned them. But they weren't happy to have me in the first place. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, this is what, I'm sorry for laughing. I just, this is hysterical, first of all. Yeah, first of all, the fact that you're also a Matt Walsh fan is hysterical. Um, especially because he has been such a vocal opponent of the gender ideology. Going to the, um, 
uh, clinic in uh, Tennessee, uh, going to the legislature there to get him to change the laws, like really defending folks. If it weren't for Matt Walsh, I wouldn't have known that there were entire conservative communities who would back me when I decided to detransition. Wow. So that's the thing. I think they count on us feeling isolated and alone, right? Like you're isolated and alone and you need us. Uh, to be okay. Yeah. And so that is so funny. We were just talking to Brandon Strzok, who uh, is gay, right? And you've got the log cabin Republicans, uh, the the Burlington uh, GOP chair, the city where I live. Uh, he's gay. And of course, you're not allowed to be gay or anything other than a straight white person and support Trump. So were you, I'm just curious, did you go to like, like gatherings of trans people in a MAGA hat and like harass them intentionally? It wasn't quite to that extent, but there was a support group that I went to a few times. And um, it was the day after the 2016 election after yeah. actually that I was there. And we have the, a rainbow talking stick and you send it around the room. And okay. the prompt for that day to open, you would state your name and your pronouns. And then the prompt was, how much did you cry Tuesday night <laughs> after the election? <laughs> And it was so awkward because the stick cart started going around and I went, oh no, I'm going to be dead last. Oh no. And so everybody's going around saying how much that they cried, how upset they were yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday. And, okay. and I got the talking stick and I was just so awkward. I was looking at the floor and I said, well, I didn't really cry because I voted for Trump. And then <laughs> from there, I didn't even know what to do. I'm holding the rainbow talking stick. Nobody wanted to take it from me. I was just like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Did anybody say anything or was it just like dead silent after that? It was just dead that? silent. I've never seen a room full of liberals so quiet. You could hear a pin drop I in that I feel like we need to like shoot this as like a comedic short. Except it really happy, happened, and you're standing there with this, you're sitting there with a stick, and you just like, yeah. And of course, it had sparkles on it, so you know I'm holding it with two fingers, so I don't get glitter all over myself. <laughs> yeah, that that was embarrassing though. Ah, ah, I love it. Well, and this is the thing is, they they expect like full wholesale compliance to the whole. Uh, ideology or you are ousted right like you are not allowed to have an independent thought you are not allowed to think for yourself you must drink the kool-aid and be like an automaton which i thought the whole point of being a liberal was that everybody gets to be whoever they are and whoever they want to be and whatever as long as you have the right views that's it. As long as you have the right opinions, you can identify however, do whatever, but if you have the wrong opinion on anything, then you can't be one of them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell our viewers, Katie, where they can find you, how they can follow, where to follow you, how they can support you in your activism and your detransition. So I used to not have any social media. Now I do. So you can find me on Twitter at Katie1080. So it's K-A-T-I-E 1080. Okay. So you can find me there. That's the only place you can find me so far. So far. Because I don't have anything else and I don't know how to use anything else. Yeah. Um, what else do you need? I mean, probably, you know, prayers for for myself because I'm going around telling my story. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the best way to support me. All right. And also prayers for the entire transgender community yes. that they come to the truth 
um, because it is true that there's a high suicide risk. It is true that there's a higher suicide risk for people after transition, um, which, which I did experience. I felt suicidal for, for a period of time when I decided to detransition. And so for any people transitioning, rethinking transition, detransitioning, it's not the end of your story. That's what I want yeah. your viewers to walk away with. Is It is not the end. There is an entire community of us out there willing to accept you in. Even if you're a crazy lib, I'm not going to turn you away. We're, we're, we're in the same boat. You know, I, yeah. I understand the struggle. So it's not the end for you. And that's, that's one of the biggest things I want you to walk away from. I want you to walk away with. And the best ways to support me and the communities who I'm fighting for is to pray for us and watch for our videos. I know other people might want financial support, things like that for maybe any medical intervention that they need after transition. Oh yeah. But for me, it's just Katie1080 on Twitter. That's all I, I have I love right it, now. I love it. No, and that's why I think it's so important to remember that, you know, the gender clinics, uh, and I think this might've been exposed by the Daily Wire as a matter of fact, is they, they had undercover footage of these clinics saying, you know, once we get them into the pipeline, we've got a patient for life. Yep. And so that is the big thing I, I, I want to also say, like, if there's an opportunity to help someone get their health back, get their life back, you know, that people do not need condemnation from us. People do not need to be heard, told they're this, that, or the other thing. They need love. They need compassion. They need prayers. And, uh, you know, anybody who is struggling with uh, transgenderism or anything like that clearly is, is suffering. And, uh, and condemnation never works uh, with those folks. And so we have to remember, especially as a Christian community, that uh, coming at things, making sure we're showing our love and our heart for people first and foremost, and remembering that uh, you know, we're the damsels in distress. Christ saved us. Christ came and re redeemed us. We didn't do the redeeming. We didn't do the saving. And so praying for people to find Jesus and to find that peace that we get to, to rest in and that foundation is so important. And so I love Absolutely. that you shared that. Katie1080, we're going to follow yep. you on Twitter. All right. Thank awesome. you so much for coming you. on. From conservative commentator and contributor to Breitbart News, The American Spectator, The Jerusalem Post, The New Civil War, Exposing Elites, Fighting Utopian Leftism, and Restoring America, Bruce D. Abramson brings a transformative exploration into how progressivism has poisoned America. Featuring a foreword by President Trump's former strategist, Sebastian Gorka, PhD, The New Civil War will open your eyes to the left's incendiary agenda and how patriotic Americans can fight back. We are living through a national trauma. The United States has jettisoned the rule of law and ceased functioning as a republic. Battle lines have been drawn. Progressives are moving quickly to cement their transformation of the country's beliefs, attitudes, values, social structures, economic models, and government organizations. Patriotic Americans are waking up to recognize that conservatism failed to conserve much of anything. Progressives control academia, media, the civil service, and several of our country's most important industries. The new civil war is not a call for war. It is a recognition that war has been declared on us. Our sacred love of liberty is under attack. Unless we defend it, the America we love may be lost. This book is for every patriotic American eager to defeat the utopian left and restore America.
Joel Pollack, conservative journalist. Americans face a bizarre new political landscape. A supposedly moderate president who ran on promises of unity is pursuing a radical left-wing agenda. These challenges call for principled, effective opposition. The new civil war will help start a conversation about how to push back. Harmeet Dillon, civil rights lawyer. As a lawyer who defends the victims of progressivism every day, I have looked into the eyes of the thought police. The new civil war provides the wake-up call American needs and serves as a self-defense manual for patriotic Americans. Get your copy of the new civil war today. Tired of seeing your rights stripped away by the politicians in Washington who don't care about you or me? Do you feel like a red dot in a pond of blue dots and feel disconnected? It's time to get connected. The American Center for Education and Knowledge is fighting back to restore America. Get connected. Go to ASICFUND.org. That's A-C-E-K-F-U-N-D.org to learn more. Do it now. And welcome back to Of The People. Erica, I know we don't have much time left. That was one of the most moving interviews. It almost brought me to tears. Uh, and yeah. I and I am a tough SOB. You don't bring me to tears often. <laughs> I mean, anybody who knows me uh, probably has a lot of adjectives to add to that SOB reference. But what a powerful, <laughs> moving interview. And, and, and the courage yeah. and the moral sort of, sort of just internal strength to do, I mean, I'm not usually speechless, but. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. One of the to, to first of all, to admit that you're wrong, right? Like to admit, hey, I'm having some emotional issues and I thought that this would fix it and I was wrong. And someone please help me. Right. Help me. You know, the humility that that requires and the grace and mercy and forgiveness that is required to go through this process and to just see how she carries herself with so much dignity and so much peace and calm even in the midst of a crazy you know event like the first in the nation summit it was just you know it was it was great to see katie we are with you we are for you you know get we're gonna follow up with her as she goes through her process and through her court battle and right. uh you know i i look forward to seeing what she does next and and how she uses this for the greater good moving forward absolutely and and let's let's have her on the, the real show um and see how her her battle's going because she she and so many like her need our support and need our help and and that's part of what we're here for erica we're getting the high side from lauren benjamin which means yes another week another Wrap show time to go uh where can they contact us if they want to reach us you can reach me at erica at coalition for america erica reddick on twitter you are rb churnin i, I am at rb churnin on twitter and i am robert at coalition the number four america.com folks Thanks for and if you're and if Oops. you're watching if you're watching comment below you guys your comments that's what the algorithm really likes right now tell us what you think about the interviews tell us what you want to make sure uh, that we ask these ladies the next time they join us I'm gonna give you the last word oh no me. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been with us watching of the people with my the the lovely host, the handsome and dignified host can Robert. Can I be Chernin. handsome and not lovely? Thank you. The my my hands my handsome and distinguished host Robert Chernin and myself, co-host Erica Reddick. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. Take care.